0: Welcome to the Business Benchmark Group podcast, where you'll learn how to think strategically about your business and discover that while business is not easy, it doesn't need to be hard. With over 20 years experience in turning stalling businesses into thriving enterprises, here is your host, Stefan Kazakis, the founder and CEO of Business Benchmark Group. Hi, I'm Stephen Kazakis from
1: Business Benchmark Group and welcome to this week's episode of our podcast series. I really want to thank everyone that's uh, continuing to support and, and, and provide feedback and ultimately the engagement level that our podcast series are creating at the moment are really, really pleasing and, and we feel more encouraged and more energised to keep on giving and providing more value every day in every way as best we can. So this week's, this week's conversation is a conversation that again was a a radio interview where I guess the the whole pricing model, the, high, the whole identity as business owners and or leaders in, in, in various industries need to be considering, I guess, um, as to what is and what ultimately creates a formula for their pricing model. So, you know, our philosophy here at Business Benchmark Group is you've got to provide value. It's not about would you like to buy this? It's a case of how much value could we and or encourage? I guess um, as a service provider for you to get on with what is your um, opportunity or what is your problem or what is your desire that you are longing for and how is it that we do it better and better and better every other day so the price is not the only reason why you buy from us or from you it becomes a part of the formula and therefore your pricing hourly rate identity, the value that you provide, the investment that you make within your business within your structures, within your resources to be more predictable, more sustainable for long-term results for the clients that you serve become the guiding and most leading principle when it comes to your pricing model. So I look forward to hearing your feedback and ultimately get absorbed in uh, the pricing model conversation and the pricing hourly rate identity, which for many of us, for many of us ends up sinking a ship and for others, it ends up guiding the ship to higher waters. I'm Stefan Kazakis, Business Benchmark Group, where pricing models are not a flash in the pan, but a decision that is a little more involved than many would think.
2: When you're going into business for yourself, it can be really hard to know how much to charge for products or services. Will people really pay as much as you'd like to charge? Maybe you'll lose them forever if your prices are too high. And where do you begin to calculate how much your own skill and time is worth to your business? Uh, joining me tonight to chew over the questions and a few others, uh, Matthew Dickerson, who's the small business consultant and author of Small Business Rules. Good evening, Tony. Great to see you, bright, smiling. Thank you. And uh, Stefan Kozakis, also with us tonight, business strategist, uh, author of uh, From Deadwood to Diamonds. Uh, good evening, Stefan.
1: Good evening, Tony. Good to uh, good to be here. And good evening, Matthew. Yeah, good evening,
2: Stephen. Stephen, uh, where do you begin to calculate how much your own skill and time is worth when you're going into a new business? So even if you're taking one uh, that's an existing business over, it's just a little bit hard to uh, to judge.
1: Yeah, it is, and it's uh, it, it is a dilemma because I guess you don't know what you don't know, and all you have is a <laughs> reference point that says this is the price that the market has been paying up until now. If it's a going concern. Or a, or a business that's in existence. Alternatively, if you're starting something and you're thinking, no, I just want to, um, I just want to get started. So the whole fear of not setting a price strategy that may uh, not get you busy in the first five minutes is also a, an aspect of fear that has many business owners uh, stumbling at the block. So I guess um, my experience and what I've got to um, understand not only as a business owner for 25 years, but working with many. Uh, Um, various businesses over the years is it comes down to the formula that is referred to as value. What is the value Mm. that you're actually providing? And and I think that's where the greatest strategic work needs to be done. So our skill, our experience, but our value for delivering an outcome. And there comes the, uh, I guess, the mind mapping or a a bit of fun when it comes to price strategy.
3: Mm. Uh,
2: Matthew, is it appropriate that you uh, think of yourself getting a weekly paycheck uh, when uh, when the, the business first kick starts? Or is it something you're just going to have to uh, suck it and see?
4: Look, one of the mistakes I think that many businesses make is that they don't think of themselves as getting a weekly paycheck. They think, well, I'll just take some of the profit to the business. And in particular, I see when businesses buy or when a business person buys a business, they, they basically buy themselves a job. They don't think about it like a business. They think about it as in earning some money at the end of the year. So they're happy to wait till the end of the year to see if they've actually got some money in their pocket. And I don't know too many employees that would be happy to wait as an employee to say, we'll we'll just pay at the end of the year and then we'll see if the company's made some profit and then get some money. You really need to have your whole strategy, as Stefan's talked about there, that pricing strategy, based around you receiving a fair and equitable weekly paycheck. And then hopefully, if you run the business properly, there'll also be some profit which is the business profit, which is the entrepreneurial side of it, rather than just saying, well, I'll just leave it all and wrap all up my wages and my income as part of that whole process.
2: Stephen, also, uh, particularly if it's a retail business, uh, you're likely to be, uh, if you're not physically there 24-7, you're likely to be mentally there
1: 24-7. Oh, no two ways about it. And I guess this is where the uh, the beauty and uh, it was interesting to hear some of the uh, the leading to tonight's show regarding uh, scamming and uh, and whatever mm. but the beauty about today's retail environment and landscape is that it is twenty four seven not only mentally but also financially so I guess you know having the fusion of brick click and mortar as they call it in the uh, in the world today you know making sure that you're creating a a uh, an online strategy which also has a a a significant aspect of of pricing structure. Uh, mm is a phenomenal thing. But, yes, 24-7 retail and, and, and manufacturing and blue-collar type uh, businesses are generally, uh, you know, geez, if only I can get a little bit more for my uh, hard 80 hours this week um, is, is is generally a place on a Friday evening or even a Sunday night yeah. that many business owners are struggling with.
2: Matthew, i got to say uh, we – I was just walking back from the cinema last night and I just walked down, um, you know, a stretch of road that I – you know, have walked down a million times in the last uh, 25 years, but uh, all of a sudden it's alight and the cafes are open, the small, you know, convenience stores are there. Uh, It seems to have grown, you know, in 18 months, two years, from a dead spot to totally alive.
4: Yeah, and it's great to see there is some strength in the economy at the moment. I think the economy is is bouncing mm. back. And so there are a lot of people who, as you said at the beginning of the show, decide that they want to get into small business because they're sick of entering to a boss and they don't realize that you go from one boss when you're an employee to hundreds or thousands of bosses because every client that you have for that business is a boss. But, but getting into those sort of environments where it is nighttime, the, the trade is expected to go in those sort of cafes just about all throughout the day. Again, a mistake business owners often make in that environment is to say, well, I don't want to pay someone to do that work. I'll just work in there myself because I'm I'm more I'm cheaper, sorry, than having someone paid overtime or, or, or getting some after hours payments there. And and that becomes again the wrong mindset. Your business needs to stand on its own two feet paying the appropriate wage. If you if you work there late at night, if you work a 12-hour day, you should pay yourself the same as if you were paying an employee and then see if the business stands up.
2: Interesting. Uh, Stefan, there was a story that I told a little bit earlier tonight. Uh, It relates to a friend of mine who's just telling to me on the weekend. uh, Runs a clothes alteration business, and um, he's been there about two or three years. And had somebody come in the other day and saying, look, I need to have this jacket altered, but I need to have it done today because I'm flying out tomorrow morning and I'm away for a couple of weeks. And uh, looked at it and said, look, this is very involved to do this. It's not just an ordinary alteration. It's going to take a a fair bit of time to do. And I can't really do it by tomorrow morning. I'm just too busy. Uh, You better take it to somebody else if you need it done urgently. And uh, he said, well, how much would it cost? And he said, well, if I did it, probably about $65 to, to fix it. But I haven't got the time to do it. And uh, the guy took it to somebody else uh, and came back a couple of days later and said oh, they charged me 150. <laughs> so uh, you know, is it a situation where sometimes you know you've got to adjust your pricing to meet the market?
1: Well, the the interesting thing about uh, pricing as as a critical uh, criteria for business is if you're not setting the right price, or if your hourly rate identity as a business is not positioned correctly you won't have the opportunity to reinvest in your business. Mm. And, and reinvesting in your business is also having someone else sitting on that machine creating the alteration in that example. Yeah. So the reinvestment back in the business for innovation, research and development, progression, a customer delight system, all these things cost and, and require investment in the business for which if your pricing structure is really from an employee mindset, You're never going to be the business owner and ultimately the business investor. And that's got to be the destination for every small business owner in Australia, let alone the world.
2: Yeah, I suppose, uh, Matthew, that one area where you often see this uh, is dry cleaning. And uh, I know somebody who um, runs a pretty successful dry cleaning shop. And uh, the essence there was uh, they said, you know, why don't you to stimulate initial business to a lot of the, you know, three for 20 bucks or three for 15 sort of deals to, you know, get people through the door. Uh, and he said, no, our, our job's quality, you know. So what we are charging a reasonable price for what you're getting. But he said, if you know, you start doing those four for and five for and, and you'll go at the door backwards.
4: Yeah, and there's a fine line there too, I think, Tony, you might want to start a business and have a target price for whatever it is, whether it's services, whether it's products, whether it's dry cleaning. And if you're just not getting the customers coming in the door, a mistake that some businesses make is they say our pricing's too high, even though they had calculated it, worked it out, that's the appropriate price. We better just cut our price. Now, I think a smarter way to go about it is to actually make it an introductory price or a special offer, something that people understand it's not your normal price so that when the price then goes back to the normal price, people don't say, oh, they put the price up dramatically. What they think is, yes, we took advantage of that special offer. So it might be appropriate if, if, for example, your friend in the dry cleaning business, Mm. he's getting some good free advice here, Tony. So if if your friend in the dry cleaning (laughs) business was struggling and just wasn't getting the numbers coming through the door, that introductory offer, that two for one for this week only, Mm. Christmas special, whatever it might be, I think is a better way to go, but don't get to the point. And you see some major uh, retail chains, some major um, department stores do it where people don't buy off them under normal circumstances now because they're waiting for the sale because they have that many sales through the year. It almost becomes a numbing process so that people don't ever shop unless there's a sale on because there's so many. So you need to make sure it's identified clearly as an introductory or some sort of special offer as a a bit of a one-off.
2: I suppose, uh, Stefan, the problem that we have today also is the uh, you know a lot of competition out there in the marketplace, and uh, sometimes it's uh, difficult to know uh, whether you should be taking your competitors on on price or whether uh, there's got to be another defining factor that will uh, help you cross the line.
1: Look, understanding what your competitions um, having for dinner uh, the night before and what color underwear they're wearing today is critical to your business success. However, It's as important to be really clear and confident about your target market and the price structure that's appropriate for the value that you provide for that target market so that when they buy you, they're not buying you on price. Price is about the third to fourth most important aspect when it comes to a genuine purchaser of your solution, of your product or service. So price is not the ultimate answer for the consumer. What is the ultimate answer is I know I've i got a problem and I need you to solve it. Mm. And if you solve that without me needing to think about it again, you've done a great job. And I'm coming back and I'm bringing my best friends with me. Yeah.
2: So, Stefan, you were saying if you are going to be a genuine choice in the market, you can't be cheap.
1: No chance. You know, I, I, I work with $2 shops that are not cheap.
2: How do you explain
1: that?
2: (laughs) (laughs) It seems to be an enigma.
1: (laughs) It's it's a paradigm. See, there's $2 shops in the market Mm. and there's $2 shops in the market. And there's a different target market for different types of $2 shops. And it's an example. But it's a great example because that business owner decided to run or grow and multiply his business asset through $2 shop target market. But you go into that shop and it's clean, it's neat. The customer service, the, the, the help, the packaging is unique for a $2 shop. And then you mm. can go to the alternative $2 shops, for which most of us would have a reference in our mind right now, in terms of, yes, there's those $2 shops and there's that $2 shop. The ones that are making the money, and there's some smart operators out there making a lot of money in $2 shops, are running the much more to find for their target market, whatever level that is, $2 shop.
2: Mm. Matthew, uh, having a premise that people are comfortable in is an important part of the equation as well. So in other words, um, you know, half the battle to get people to come in is if they feel like there's an environment there that they uh, they don't mind being in.
4: Yeah, that's right. And if I can just touch on one of the points that that Stefan made there in terms of how much price is important in that process, and to your point, Tony, Mm. number one reason that a person leaves your business. When you've got a client, the number one reason that a person says, I don't want to do business with you anymore is a perceived indifference. So it just feels like you don't care. Now that you don't care can be a whole range of things and it can be exactly as Stefan's pointed out with $2 shops that might look a bit tired and, and a bit nasty and exactly as you're talking about yeah. a, an uninviting premises if if you have someone come into your environment and it looks like an old tired place you're probably not really inviting you probably don't care about the customer and that's the number one reason people will leave uh, poor communication poor quality products and services all these things are more important uh stefan said third mm. or fourth i actually rate prices fifth on the list of reasons that people don't want to do business with you anymore if you think that they're too expensive so people have the fear around price but there are so many other things that are much more important than price, including how you present yourself and the way you deal with people.
2: I have to say uh, there was a, a shop not far from us uh, that looked like the old curiosity shop when you walked by. <laughs> it was like wow uh, it looked like uh, you know they hadn't thrown a broom around in a couple of decades. Uh, it's one of those things it's okay to be quirky but uh, if it looks as though it's filthy, yeah, that's not a good plan you know really
4: A simple example, Tony, when I when I landed an airport, I'll typically use the higher car services there, not a taxi. And the main reason I do that is I know I'm not going to get into a vehicle that, that smells. It's not going to be have someone that's just put out a smoke at the, at the footpath and it stinks of smoke. And it's going to be a car that I don't feel like the wheel bearings are going to fall off. And I probably pay 30% extra for the the convenience of all of that, I still get from A to B, but I do it in an environment that I feel is much nicer, and I, I never sit there and say, I'll just get a price off this guy first and a price off that guy. The first thing I see is a well-presented vehicle that looks and smells nice, and I feel like I'm going to be safer at the other end. So, it's simple things like that, where people would say, "Surely you wouldn't do that because of price, but you don't think about price.
2: Understood. Stefan, I'll put this SMS to you. Uh, it says, Tony, here in the country, we know that success in business comes from hard work. Dedication and staying away from people who wear ties and shiny shoes.
4: I'm glad you put that to Stephanie. You're you making some influence there.
1: <laughs> and, and, and lucky, <laughs> and, and lucky, I'm in a radio studio for which my shiny shoes are not that shiny right now. <laughs> but, uh, but 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 that's interesting. I mean that, that that's a mindset. I mean that's a perception of um, you know we we stay away from the ties and the shiny shoes as if mm. that that outcome or that. I guess paradigm is going to be dangerous for us. However, I guess regardless of what shoes or ties, if someone's um, there to offer, um, you know, th- their dollar from their wallet for your product or service or vice versa, it makes no difference as to what or where or how they're looking in this day and age. Actually, I um, I work with some amazing um, individuals that are worth, you know, seven and eight uh, figure uh sums in terms of their their net worth and when that when i meet with them i'm thinking did you just where did you come from you look like you've just uh come off a, a rodeo or something and it's in this day and age i don't think we should be judging the book by the cover those days are definitely behind us even in rural and country australia i think you've got to embrace opportunity even the guys with the shiny shoes and the ties they've got something that you know if you can just ask a few questions and be curious about I think there's a there's a bridge mm. that we can um, cross with that,
2: Matthew. Uh, if you've got a product that sells out in you know a couple of hours, you know you make you know the best apple pies in the district, and uh, they they sell as soon as you put them in the window. Uh, is that a, an indicator that perhaps you're not charging enough for the product, and that you know you can take advantage of? the popularity of what you're doing.
4: Yeah, look, absolutely. You, you've really got to look at supply and demand, Tony. You've got to make sure that you're keeping an eye on that. And and I've seen examples of that. I saw an example of a of a local pie shop at home a few years ago where they were, they were making these brilliant pies. I think they were cheating because they were using real meat in the pies. And I, I'm not <laughs> sure if that's cheating. allowed in the pie-making game, but <laughs> they were brilliant pies. They were family pies. I was selling out, and they were selling out by probably 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning. And I know when my wife went to go and buy one, she had to get there in the morning to get one, otherwise they were all gone. And mm. I said to the guy, You should put your prices up. He said, oh, well, well, that'd be a bit scary if I put the prices up because some people would think they're too expensive. And I said, well, does it matter if you don't sell out till 2 o'clock in the afternoon or 3 o'clock in the afternoon? You've done the same amount of work. you produce the same amount of pies. There was only a certain amount they could produce in the environment they had, and you're going to increase your profitability. It just seemed like to me, if I was running that business, I would keep putting the price up until I didn't sell out, until I got to 5 o'clock in the afternoon, and I still had a couple left, and I go, I now know... What my price point is, I now know what the market can handle, the price sensitivity of the marketplace. I've hit and then just drop it back a little bit below that, so I'm selling out at four thirty in the afternoon.
2: Mm. Uh, there are some businesses, Stefan, like for example newspapers. Uh, they have gone through a, a revolution and uh, they're really, you know, trying to uh, find their feet. and And pricing is, uh, you know, a, a big part of that. Uh, you know, if you find yourself in a, in a situation where you're not sure that you're getting the pricing right, is there any way you can check to, uh, to you, know, you know, find out an answer to the, to the issue?
1: Oh, look, there's various ways of checking. Um, I, I, I find uh, the best way to check is uh, um, choose your top 10 customers or your ch- top 10% of customers and choose your bottom 20% of customers and just have a brutal truth conversation. Mm-hmm. Ask the real questions. And um, what I also find, I mean, um, Matthew uh, correctly indicated earlier that most people leave us because of perceived indifference. You've got two choices when it comes to price, and if you're not sure whether your pricing is right, you, you can either discount, which would mean you're going to have to sell a lot more product to get to a point of profit, or you can create perceived value. In other words, I can add a bottle of water to a – or no, let's go the, the classic perceived value uh deals that we're aware of, would you like fries with that? That particular line Mm. for that particular company at that particular time saved it from going broke globally. Now, the perceived value for that bunch of fries next to the hamburger was a dollar, and people paid it. But the cost of those fries was only $0.30. So I guess for the newspaper, um, Mm. I guess, example, and many other industries that feel that they're on the road to dead wood, What we need to do is continuously be looking at how can I add more value but sustain, if not increase, my profitability. So discounting is not the strategy. That's Mm. the strategy to die. I mean, my first mentor taught me, no good getting a million-dollar contract, Stefan, if it's going to cost us a million and one dollars to get there.
2: Yeah.
1: So perceived value is a great pricing strategy for difficult industries but also exceptional growing industries.
4: Can I, just, can I just make one yeah, point there too, absolutely. Tony? And I think one of the, the points you're making there, Tony, the the challenge at the moment for some of the newspapers that have got free information, and, and most people now just assume information is free. Why should a newspaper be charging for it? Yep. But this, think of all the social media sites out there their their business model is free to the consumer. And there's a, an interesting story about the Red Cross and, and World War II veterans in America. And if you ask anyone, not that we probably mm. know that many now because many of them have probably died, but if, if we asked a World War II veteran, an American World War II veteran, what he thinks of the Red Cross, he would say, I don't like them. I can't stand them. And what happened in World War II was that you used to get a free donut and a free cup of coffee if you're an American soldier during the war, during the Second World War. Mm-hmm. And the British soldiers were paying for them. The American government actually said it's creating some tension between the American and the British uh, soldiers. So they asked the Red Cross to start charging for donuts and cup of coffee. Two cents was how much they charged them. And from that point forward, there was a category change that happened. It went from a free service to a paid service. And every American veteran says, I don't like the Red Cross. And that's the reason why. So for all of these free services, whether it be newspapers, whether it be social media, online sites that start to charge, it's different to putting your price up. When you go from mm. free to any amount, it's a category change. When you go from a $10 to $10.50, it's a price increase. And they're two distinct things. One of the great challenges for the newspaper industry and for all of the, mm. the, the free services out there at the moment is trying to work out a business model where they're actually making money. And some of those social media sites are valued at hundreds of billions of dollars and they're not making any money because yeah. they haven't worked out that model yet. And I'm not sure that some of them can.
2: I was about to say, if you know it, one, I know a couple of people who'd be very interested in having a chat to you. <laughs> What's your advice, Beth, you do a business that prides itself on doing top quality work? You know, say you're a furniture upholsterer and you're the best in the area, uh, but because you take a bit of time with the projects, you're not getting great bang for the buck. Um, how do you how do you deal with that? You know, you you're not prepared to you know do the job quickly and you know just rush it through and uh, and uh, just put it out because you know you have pride in what you do.
4: Yeah, there there are many many expert tradespeople, many many people who are absolutely fantastic at their job that go broke, and you've got to get to the point where you've got some realistic expectations for your clients. For yourself, and sometimes it's not about cutting corners. Sometimes it's about delivering a realistic job. So for an upholsterer, does it really matter underneath the chair the the way you finish things off absolutely beautifully or is that somewhere you could actually be a bit more realistic in the time you spend on that? So delivering what a client wants and making sure you're aware of that at a reasonable price, I think is important. Obviously, you get to that point where if you're going to deliver that top quality and you're getting no customers come in, you're going to change your business model. So a lot of it is yeah. making sure you're aware of what's happening in the client world, making sure you're aware of what's happening with your clients, and, and asking them the questions. This job's being done at this level. Are you happy with that? What's your expectation, and am I delivering to that expectation?
2: Stefan, uh, Mark from Reservoir is asking on the SMS, uh, e is killing uh, you know, certainly severely damaging bricks and mortar businesses uh, uh, that need more margin to support the business model. Um, is there any advice to uh, try and head that off?
1: Yeah, it's it's definitely a changing landscape. And, um, Mark, what I would suggest is, uh, I guess, thinking about your business for the next 10 years, what would it look like versus I just need to survive the next month? Um, if, if you're going to be around in business for the next 10 years, you're going to have to make some decisions about I guess um, running it a little leaner in certain areas um, the cost of I guess business because of the e-tail or the the, the, the online uh, I guess um, opportunity or threat depends which school you come from in my in my um, I guess experience what I'm realizing and noticing with many more businesses is there needs to be a fusion it can't be just seen as the threat anymore now, that's not being ignorant, that's not being vague, it's being global. You need to embrace the way the business is going and whether we like it or not, most businesses in the next 10 years, and this is the futurist approach to business right now, you know, 30 to 40% of our businesses are gonna be online based and you've gotta start setting yourself up for that and if you haven't already, you're gonna to have to start getting some good advice around it. Mm. So yes, it's real, it's tangible. If you see it as a genuine threat, you will need to embrace it and run certain parts of your business leaner than ever before.
2: Matthew, do you have a thought?
4: Well, businesses change and, and business models change. And probably the, the classic example I think of is Kodak. Kodak started back in 1880 and went broke in 2012. The Kodak moment. <laughs> exactly right. How many how many things do people associate with the word Kodak? Now, it was only around about, and, and don't quote me on these figures, please, listeners, but around about 2000, that, the year 2000, that Kodak had somewhere in the vicinity of an 80% market share of rolls of film being sold. Those
2: digital cameras will never catch
4: on. (laughs) They actually developed a digital uh, camera, a prototype digital camera, and they didn't think exactly as you said that it would catch on. So going from an 80% market share in a huge market of rolls of film being sold to going broke within 12 years, which is not a lot of time when that company had been Mm. going for over 100 They just didn't see that they needed to change their business model. And so the advice that I would give to some people is the business that they're in now may not be what the business looks like, exactly as Stefan said, in a 10-year time frame. What does your business look like? So rather than being stuck on, oh, no, I've been doing this, it's not working, and how do I combat these other guys? You might have to change your model. You might have to change your business. The world's changing.
2: Stefan, sometimes you're a victim of your own success. I mean, Sony is a good example of that. Uh, you know, they certainly dominated the market in the 1980s and uh, they were, you know, thinking that they were, you know, impervious and all of a sudden, you know, there's a lot of Korean companies that came in and ate them.
1: (laughs) And then a couple of Americans ate the Koreans. So I guess from that perspective, Mm. you've got to constantly have feet on the ground and your ear to uh, to the ground as well to understand where is the beat of the jungle coming from? You cannot rest on your laurels of yesterday's success. You've got to be continuously defining tomorrow's new way going forward. The things that you can't see and the things that you don't know need to be constantly embraced. And as torturous as those two questions are, you must be strategic about where is the edge and how are you playing in that game. Ultimately, this is, this is where it starts and stops. You're either going to be in the top 10% of your industry for a long time, or you're going to decide to be a flash in the pan and get caught up in the, star, in the starlight embracement of that, of that moment of you know, brilliance and someone's going to overtake you.
2: Mm. And- we uh, had somebody on the program one night here who was an expert in um, just uh, productivity. And uh, his advice was, if you weren't trying to make your product outmoded, somebody else was <laughs> and, uh, and would. And so you know, it doesn't matter how successful you are, unless you're evolving it. It's uh, it's not going to be there in. A and you've got to look at,
4: at mobile phones in Australia. They were introduced back in 1987. So they haven't been in Australia for a long period of time. But through that time. There have been so many market leaders. Motorola was a market leader for so long. Obviously, we saw uh, Nokia a market leader in in recent years, and obviously Apple came along. Apple's been knocked off. Sony has been in there as well as a market leader. So it just continually changes. And one of the saddest things, I've just returned from Japan last week, and uh, Minokemo in Japan actually had a Sony factory, a huge Sony factory. And I went for a quick look at that factory, and it's now almost like a desert because they've just shut down that entire factory. So there were something like 5,000 Sony employees there, it's now desert land, still owned by Sony, but nothing's happening there. So it takes only a blink of an eye for someone to be producing huge quantities to suddenly their, their product is outmoded. So you're exactly right. It's a, mm. You're only one step away.
1: And, and, just, and just on that, um, the whole thing about evolution, otherwise known as innovation, if you're not investing in innovation and research and development, which means you must have a decent price structure to be able to afford to do that consistently – you will not survive what is coming at the rate of knots, and the world is changing at the speed that's never ever been precedented. So this is a very new, and will continue to be a new mm. environment that we're playing the game of business.
2: Just wondering whether you'd like to join us. Uh, perhaps you've got uh, some uh, a story to tell about your own you know small enterprise, or perhaps you've got a question that you'd like to put to the guys about you know how you make that change and how you. Know, price your own cost into the into the into the business, and you know how do you make it successful? Just an interesting SMS before we go to calls. Um, this is a pharmacy student who's SMS saying the entire pharmacy industry pretty much is moving to a cost for service model. You have just given an example of how going from free service to a price on that service would hurt the entire business. How do we change?
4: So, and I'm not actually sure of that pharmacy model that's changing. I wasn't aware that it was going to a price for service. I assume you still came in and, and actually just bought the products and the pharmacist was there.
2: Well, I, I think it's a situation now where, particularly uh, with the amount of discounting that's going on, uh, you know, <laughs> delivering uh, a, a you know pharmaceutical, uh, you know, uh, you know, service is, uh, is becoming difficult because it's uh, you know cost cutting all the time, and uh, you uh, even you know prescription. Yeah, it's, uh, it's getting cheaper. And
4: I think what would happen there, the only way it's going to be a tough challenge to change that because people haven't been used to it. it. Is that category change I spoke about before? So I think the real challenge there will be to make sure that people are getting expert advice and and really happy with that advice. And it might be something where they actually start to to basically get that information out there to say it will now be a a $30 consultation or whatever it might be, but come in and collect your first one for half price or for free to get the idea of just people using that service in that way. But it, it, it will be a tough challenge for the entire industry
1: if that's where the industry is headed. Or alternatively, you can think outside the box and give them a massage while they're waiting for their prescription drugs.
2: I think uh, one of the two big supermarkets have already thought that. <laughs> Ron, uh, you found running a, an e-commerce business really a hard slog after running Bricks and Mortar.
3: Yeah, um, I own
5: a bricks and mortar store um, and we started an e-commerce business three years ago um, in, a, in a niche within our, uh, our bricks and mortar store um, and we tried selling it Australia-wide and what we've found is that the, local, the e-commerce marketing supports the local market better because um, people still want to come and see the product and touch and feel it, but they're doing their research online. So we've come to the conclusion that a clicks and mortar model seems to work for us.
4: Is an interesting stat, Ron, is that about 75% of people at the moment when they're doing their shopping actually do web rooming, exactly what you're talking about. They do their research online, but then they, they still like to talk to someone. They still like to touch and feel humans want to buy from humans. So having an online strategy that involves the ability for people to research, be comfortable, and also feel like the person they're dealing with or the company they're dealing with is modern and advanced enough to actually have an online presence makes people feel much more comfortable about coming in and physically buying from you.
1: And, yeah. and on, that, on that also, Ron, it's important to understand that training your team, developing your team, delivering a customer service that's, that's exceptional will always lend itself to what Matthew just suggested. People always will buy from people.
5: Yeah, I'm full of admiration of e- e-commerce retailers who can do it nationwide or globally without having a bricks-and-mortar presence. But it's a, it's a real skill set. I don't know how they do it.
1: Yeah, it needs scalability, and there's different markets for that in the world. Mm. Australia, I'm not sure if it's at that level yet.
2: Yeah, thanks very much, mate. Great to hear from you. Uh, Harry, you want a quick word? You uh, are a vegetable farmer, and you're wondering how to uh, change structure of the business when the prices are dictated to you.
3: Yes, uh, I'm sort of interested in how we can sort of, we want to sort of develop and run our business all the time and keep taking it into the future, which we have been doing, well, it has been in the family for over 100 years, and we seem to be always fighting uh, the price taking and the price setting. Matthew, do you want to, talk yeah, to?
4: Yeah, certainly. It is a tough challenge because you do get the the major chains who come along and say, "This is the price we're paying." And and I think one of the most effective ways that I've seen farmers try and get out of that is to actually not necessarily go to the big chains and even if you get to the point where you're getting out to farmers markets or getting to the point where you're being able to show off the quality of your products and again i don't know the volume we're talking about here but showing off the quality of those products to a market that will appreciate that rather than having to sit back and say we'll just take that price it is a challenge to get past those that volume sales though if you've got those high volumes
3: harry are you very high volume stuff Uh, I'm sort of in the middle range, I'd like to say. I'm I'm sort of too big to be at farmer's market, but not uh, big enough to uh, be in the silver chain into like the major players.
4: And it may well be a a case where you actually do some mixing and matching. So to keep the volume ticking over in the size that you are, you might still sell some of your product to the chains to keep the, the money rolling in. But then actually look at a strategy where you're getting outside that, getting to some corner grocery stores getting to if farmers markets isn't your thing getting to some other smaller businesses that will appreciate the quality of what you've got and they're happy to pay a much better price because they can see the quality
3: yeah you sort of saying like you want to take it from from the plate uh from the gate to the plate
4: exactly right that's that's a, that's a common term that we hear now and it is a, a, an effective way to try and get it out there but you will find some of those small Stores in in you know somewhere around your local environment. Some of those small stores that focus just on fruit and veg and focus really on delivering high quality products. They'll be happy to pay a lot more for your product because they can sell it at better prices.
1: Yeah, okay. all right, Harry. So... I also encourage you to uh, consider exporting.
2: Yeah, uh, uh, the export market possible, Harry? Oh.
1: No, it's not.
3: It's not. We couldn't handle that sort of volume that's required. Uh, so...
1: Have you investigated it, Harry?
3: I, we have looked at it into it in the past, but uh, for the volumes that you would have to send out and uh, to, for the like, for what you'd have to like put into it, you'd have to probably double, triple production to be able to do it. And then you've also got the, like uh, the uh, with the dollar and all that, you're up and down and around, and one minute you'll have a market, the next minute you won't.
1: Yeah, the, the other thing to consider, and I think you were touching on it earlier is create an experience within your environment for people to come to and you know you can you can make some significant uh again cross utilization of your resources there so it's thinking a little outside the square and doing it a little bit different for which the base is your uh, is your product that you're currently growing yeah,
2: is, exclusivity is a is a nice place to be johnny uh, you uh, want to talk about number one tip when starting a small business
5: Yes, hi, Stefan. Hi, Matthew. Hi, Tony. How are you going? Good, Johnny. Hey, John. Good. Yeah, Down here in Launceston where paradise rests, <laughs> but there's there's just so many things to consider. You look at the uh, the advertising and marketing budget. Is it Twitter? Is it Facebook? You know, social media marketing? If you had an unlimited budget or what is the most important thing that all of us should do tomorrow morning when we wake up and think about getting our business out there to, to the world?
1: Stefan? Uh, look, from my perspective, it's always about clarity. So if you're clear about the target market that you're going to serve, then it's about who are the key influencers that you need to meet, build relationships that are ultimately going to spread the word with you, and ultimately from there, as the business grows, suggesting that we don't have plenty of money to be investing in marketing, it's got to be about relationship marketing.
2: Yeah, Excellent. Well, uh, any thoughts from you? Uh, similar
4: similar. there, a, a clear focus, knowing who your target market is. I actually like to build a picture, Tony. Yep. I like to say my target market is, is Jim, he's 38 years of age, he's married, he's got one child, and I actually paint a picture of who my target market is and then everything I do is about Jimmy. It's about what would appeal to Jimmy. So, whether it be marketing, whether it be Mm. the product I'm delivering, the customer service, it's that exactly as Stefan has said that clarity, making sure that I know what I'm doing. Do not, whatever you do, do not try and be everything to everyone because that's a a sure way to fail. Yeah.
2: All right. So, thanks for the call, mate. Cole, you've got an issue pricing for you uh, because you're dealing with customers. You say that only you're interested in price.
5: Well, no, no. I I I was in a specified industry, it's a service industry. and uh, I was doing a, a sort of a, a, a well, there a, was a type in the industry that, that most people didn't want to do, right? The run-of-the-mill people didn't want to do that sort of uh, work. And I was doing that work, and it was a specified area, so uh, I had the qualification, I knew how to do it and all this, and this particular guy, and I was doing a fair bit of work for him at the time, he came back to me, and said, look, you know, he said, uh, you're miles ahead of everybody else I've ever tried. He said, but you're too dear." So I'm taking the business away from you. (laughs) Cruel, hard and callous. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Do you a great job, but... (laughs) Yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, but but, but the the type of work involved more work than what the -the run-of-the-mill type of same transaction would have involved. That's why I charged the premium rate, you know, but uh, he wouldn't cop it, so we we lost the business.
4: I, I almost guarantee that the issue that he left wasn't price.
5: Con- well, he told, me, he told me it was.
4: Correct. And a convenient way to, to make a, a soft conversation, if you like, is around price because people go, oh, you're too dear, Ah, oh, fair enough. There was probably some other issue, and if, and if you have been able to grill that guy, there might have been some other issue. Who knows what it was, but there might have been some other issue there, but it would be very unlikely from what you've just said that it would have been
5: I price. I you'd do, well, do a good job. and everything for this guy, you know, but I mean, uh, that's what
1: he said. Yeah. Unless he has come back.
5: No, you'd never come back, no, no way. Yeah, it wasn't (laughs) (laughs) price.
2: Cruel, hard and callous. Sam, you are wondering what the first steps to take a business idea and turn it into some sort of reality.
6: Yeah, yes. um, Like I was just saying to the guy who took my call, um, evening guy, sorry. Uh, I've been in transport literally for nearly half of my life, and I've enjoyed it, and uh, I've just always been open to different ideas, and I've always got my eyes open on how things can be done differently. But the idea I have is totally, it's so far away from what I know, it's not funny. And I've actually, uh, I've finished off a course that I had to finish off, which I needed to do to get to, to the next level. Um, and I guess it's, it, it the idea came to me about six, seven years ago, and it was just, by, oh, I can tell you what it is, so I've got no no fear about it. Mm. Is uh, I was seeing I was actually having dinner with my wife, and there's a young girl across the Across from us with another young guy, and and she had a few tattoos on her. I said, I said to my wife, "Mandy's, we make some stupid ideas when we're young." And she goes, "Yeah, we do." And um, I said, "Tattoo removal absolutely goes through the roof in the next ten to fifteen years. It has to." <laughs> and it just it just dropped. The penny just dropped. And um, I went, "Yep." Yeah. And I'll be doing. I've, I've finished what I had to do, and I'm looking at. I've got all these ideas in my head. And uh, every time I see young people, even people in their 20s, um, I go, I just go cha-ching. Jenny Jenny forever. (laughs) Sorry? Jenny Uh, forever, not quite. (laughs) I look at these young people, things on their neck, and I go, and every time I see young people and I talk to them, and I love tattoos, I think they're great. Um, I don't have any myself. I go, you know you're going to finance my retirement.
2: You are going to make a fortune, Sam. Hang in there. Be strong. Uh, Guys, thanks so much for being there. I really appreciate uh, your conversation, and uh, we'll do it again soon, hopefully.
4: Thanks, Tony. Thanks, Thanks.
2: thanks, uh, guys. Matthew Dickerson there from uh, Small Business Rules, the book, and uh, Stefan Kazakis, uh, the most recent, uh, From Deadwood to Diamonds. Uh, It's time for this. (laughs)
1: Hi, I'm Stephen Kazakis, and welcome back. I guess uh, listening to that uh, message regarding pricing models and the importance of striving and ultimately thriving in being in the top 10%, in the top 5% of your industry keeps you in business for a very, very long time. And it ain't for many of us what we think that ultimately keeps keeps us there. It's more importantly known as the value that you provide and the value that you keep on innovating and growing with that ultimately takes us to the highest of highs in every industry, in every part of the world, regardless whether you're focused on being the best in your local area or whether you're being the best in your national and or global area, it makes no difference. What is really important is the fact that you want to be at the top of your game and known and building a reputation that is solution and results orientated for the clients that you have chosen to be your clients. You know, it's very easy to discount. It's very easy to cut a price. It's very easy to work twice as hard to get two-thirds ahead. But it's Way more, way more involved and way more strategic. And this is the muscle that we wish for everyone in our business benchmark group to be building. It's the value add muscle that we constantly want to be taking to a whole new level. I'm Stephan Kazakis, Business Benchmark Group, where every business owner, every small business owner can achieve and will achieve big business success.
0: For more information about Business Benchmark Group's coaching, education, and training programs, visit businessbenchmarkgroup.com.au or call 039001 0878. If you liked this podcast, please rate it on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, and leave feedback as well.